Hey everybody, welcome back to The Hustle, it's John Lamoureux. All right, I am so excited to bring you this episode. I've been hanging on to it for a couple of months. This week we get to hear from Brian Howe, who was the former lead singer of Bad Company. So you guys probably know the story, but I'll tell it anyway. Uh, you know, 70s legends, Bad Company, start to peter out at the beginning of the 80s. Paul Rogers, one of the great voices in rock, he decides to leave. And the other guys, Mick Ralphs and Simon Kirk, they decide they're going to start a new band. And they recruit Brian Howe, who had just reached some level of success. He sang on a Ted Nugent album called Penetrator. So they bring in Brian Howe. Brian's got one of the greatest voices ever. And they, they have a string of success over the late 80s, early 90s. They put out four albums. They got half a dozen hits, like There's No Smoke Without Fire and... If you needed somebody, and uh, this song right here, Holy Water, and How About That, which is one of my favorite songs of all time. And it sort of revives the brand of Bad Company. Unfortunately, as is often the case, there's some bad blood, and Brian ends up leaving the band, and the, his version of that band sort of falls apart. To get, now, Paul Rogers is back in, they're out there doing their thing. I had mistakenly said that I thought they were in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, Apparently they are not, and that's one of those uh, sticking point bands where a lot of people feel very strongly that they should be. Anyway, uh, Brian carries on to this day doing solo tours, playing those songs that he wrote, those hits that he provided to that band. Uh, it's a really interesting story that I thought I have been trying for two years to make this happen, and I finally got to talk to Brian. I'm so glad. Let me say one thing. I have mentioned on here before that I, I, I'm not somebody who actually has a problem with Ted Nugent. I don't agree with him politically on virtually anything, but I find him interesting and thoughtful and entertaining. And just because I don't agree with someone politically doesn't mean that I don't like them or respect them. Now, this uh, interview was recorded a couple of months ago, and I was listening back to it to get it ready. and. Um, because of the shooting that happened in Florida last week, which was so tragic, I just felt like I should say something. Um, because Ted, as much as I respect him, he is very much a pro-NRA guy. Not that he would in any way condone shootings or mass murders or anything like that, but he's very much a pro-NRA guy, and I am not. And I just, the timing of this is a little unfortunate, and I felt like I should say something. Maybe no one would even notice or think about it, but I did when I listened back to it. The timing of just saying that I respect Ted Nugent, which I do, is sounded a little insensitive in light of what happened, um, if you connect those dots. Maybe you wouldn't have, maybe you would. I don't know, but I felt like I should say something anyway. So, let's hear from Brian. I love this conversation. He called me from his home, I believe, in Naples, Florida. I started doing this almost three years ago, and you were one of the first people 
that I wanted to have on as a guest. And I reached out a few times, and I never heard back, and I did hear back once and was told maybe, and then nothing ever happened. And then recently you had this health scare. And I not only was like concerned about you, obviously, but then I was concerned, too, that we may never have the chance to talk. So I'm glad this is finally... <laughs> I'm glad this is finally happening, selfishly for me, but I'm glad you're okay. What happened? Tell us about I'm it. Fine. I'm fine. I'm absolutely fine. Well, I had what, what they call, I, I was out driving my car with no symptoms whatsoever, and I had what they call in the medical business a widow-maker heart attack, which oh. is apparently quite a an instantaneous death sentence. It was, it was quite strange, and I, I, I was... Obviously, I was, you know, like I say, I was driving and I had no symptoms whatsoever. I, I, I felt great. And all of a sudden, literally, the lights went out. Oh. And I don't know anything about it after that because I was, they tried to resuscitate me for for quite a while. Um, it took about seven people to working on me to even bring me back. And you then I was... Hard. Were you able to pull over or anything? No, it's one of the bonuses of driving a manual. When you when you collapse, your foot comes off the clutch and the and the car stalls. So had it now had it been an automatic, yeah, I would have not only had a heart attack, I would have ended up in the water because the road that I was opposite ran straight into the Gulf of Mexico. Oh, wow. So I was doubly doubly lucky in in that yeah. uh, in that instance. Yeah, but it was pretty scary. I, I woke up in intensive care three days later or four days later and had no idea why I was in intensive care. So, of course, that was a, yeah. a, 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 a very freaky moment. But I've been recovering ever since, and I've just got a, a very good report back just yesterday from my cardiologist who says that my heart, um, although it was quite badly damaged, is now getting back to almost almost normality. Okay. So, uh, I'm 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 kind of doing what they told me, and I've changed okay. my diet, and uh, I work out a lot. Um, you seem like a really fit guy, anyway. I mean, and you're down there in Florida in the sun, and man, I when did yeah. this happen? This was just within the last few months, right? This was late September. Oh yeah. wow! Oh man! And okay. uh, but I've never been one for for being really silly about my career or my life. I mean, I, I, I've never done drugs per se i don't you know yeah. i have smoked the odd doobie here and there yeah. but nothing nothing crazy yeah. um, i've never touched pills or syringes or or, or anything like yeah. that because it's just worthless doing stuff like yeah. that so i, I just kind of i've tried to maintain some level of fitness but of course when heart disease or, or heart problems run in your family which they which they do well, they don't just run in my family they gallop yeah. And they, uh, so it, it, I should have expected it, I suppose, and I, I could have been more on top of it by having regular medical checks, which I, I did actually have a full, full-blown heart checkup three years ago, but it didn't find this. It didn't yeah. find this. So good. Okay. But there we How go. How old are you now, Brian? Well, I'm 65 this year. Okay. Uh, well, sorry, I'm 65 uh, in July of 2018. 2018. So. Okay. Yeah. Oh, good for you. Okay. Well, I'm glad you're okay. Yeah. Um, okay. So I want to let's get into the fun stuff. So I think I understand how you came to be a member of Bad Company. I'm guessing that Mick and Simon, you know, obviously looking 
from what I understand, they were wanting to kind of start maybe something different, not necessarily a bad company, but with a new lead singer. They probably heard you on Ted Nugent's Penetrator album, and um, maybe got, I don't know if you had to audition, or if they heard that and thought that's our guy. But what I don't, what I'm still curious about is, how did you get on Ted Nugent's album? That's the stuff I'm fuzzy on. <laughs> that's a very, uh, again, a very, very strange story of fate. Back in back in 1982, I was in a band in London, and we weren't we weren't very good, to be honest with you. <laughs> we, were, we 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 were not very good. But I was very persistent, and I and I was consistently writing songs and sending them off to the company called Atlantic Records uh-huh. in, in in London. And uh, of course, every six weeks, I'd get a reply. And it would be the same reply. Yeah, we, we we like it, but we don't hear a hit. Keep sending. So I kept sending. And uh, by pure fluke, somebody was playing one of my tapes loud in one of the offices. And uh, the producer for Ted Nugent, whose name was Ashley Howe, no no relative of mine. Actually. Okay, that you was know. going to be a question of mine. Yeah, I wondered. No, no, no okay, relative at all. He okay. he heard one of the things playing, and he stopped and said, "Who, who who's this playing? Yeah. And the guy said, oh, it's this guy. You know, he's, he's, he, he's, he's trying to get a deal, but we're not going to sign him because, you know, it, the, mm-hmm. the band is not very good. Mm-hmm. And uh, he said, well, Who's the singer? And the guy said, "Well, that's him. His name is Brian Howe." He says, "Man, I'd like to, I'd like to use him for Ted Nugent's next record." And it was like, "Okay, I'll, I'll give you, I'll give you his number." So the next thing I know is I'm sitting in a little apartment in Southsea, Hampshire, near, near Portsmouth, down in down in, in England, and uh, the phone rings, and it's this guy called Doug Banker. And he goes, hi, hi, it's Brian Al. I said, yeah, 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 yeah. He said, hi, I'm the manager of Ted Nugent. I said, oh yeah, yeah. And he said, uh, yeah, I'd like to fly you to America and, and have you come over. And I said, oh, do me a favor, piss off, Mark. <laughs> and I hung up. Right. And I thought, I'm thinking this was a buddy of mine who was always playing practical jokes on me. Uh, he called back and said, look, you know, I'm being serious. This is, uh, it's like, all right, well, I'll listen to you. You know, so, and they wanted me to go to New York, which to me was a million miles away. You know, I'd, I'd, sure. I'd very hardly left my hometown of Portsmouth. I'd, I'd gone to London briefly, but I'd, you know, the thought of going to America was always a dream, but I never thought yeah. it was, was going to happen. So about three weeks later, I'm on a plane to New York. And my father had given me a hundred pounds to go with, wow. uh, which was the equivalent of a hundred and fifty bucks back then, I suppose. Yeah. And that's that's all I had to my name. I, I I landed in in New York. I got ripped off at the airport. Really? Um, How? Well, I don't know if they still do it, but there's there was a whole bunch of guys saying, "Oh, you need taxi." Oh, I'm going, right. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's great. Yeah. That's courteous of them. Thank you. So yeah, I'm going to uh, the 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 Mayflower, not the Mayflower, the um, Gramercy Park Hotel, and uh, I said, Oh yeah, yeah, we'll take you. 
Now, I don't know New York, and I don't know America, and I don't know much about the, the whole system, but um, I did realize after an hour that we passed the same building a couple of times, and I'm thinking, this is, this is really weird, but I eventually oh, get dropped no. off. I get dropped off about 20 minutes walk from the Gramercy Park Hotel, and it had cost me over 50 50 bucks. No way. Which, which back then, you know, was, yes. I didn't know, you know. Yeah, yeah. So he said, I was just up here on the, just got there on the right, and I can't get down that road. It was 20 minutes away by foot. And this guy took me to the cleaners. And uh, so now I was down on the money, and uh, I walked into the into the hotel. Obviously, must have looked pretty distressed. Uh-huh. <laughs> and Ashley Howe was there to meet me. And, now, uh, why didn't why didn't they send a car for you or something? I guess they just figured. You'd I guess it. I wasn't worth it, you know. Okay, I, mean, I, I okay. was just a guy coming over to rehearse, and yeah. uh, you know, I was one of one of at least two people that I knew that were up for the rehearsal. Mm-hmm. Um, the other guy was um, a guy called Mark Bowles, who I know that um, name. How do I know that? Yeah, name? he he sang for Ingve. A, a while. That's how I know that name. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. That was a strange situation too, too, because he did hire Mark Bowles as bass player for the European dates, which I thought was a bit odd. And I happened to secure the 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 gig as lead vocals only because I offered to work cheaper. Really? And, uh, I offered to work for three hundred pounds a week was really I should have been getting like 300 pounds a show and yeah. I didn't know that so oh, I was working <laughs> with, with naivety right oh it was wonderful you know yeah. it, it's a long tour too yeah. and we did six shows a week for oh. the best part of nine months and sometimes matinees Goodness. And I'm working for three hundred pounds a week. Yeah. <laughs> but I was in, I was suddenly in America, and it was my yeah. dream. And I was I'm, I'm not going to bitch about it, you know. Sure. Were you a Nugent fan? Was this? I mean, never this heard of him. For, really? I've never so heard of you'd him. never heard of Ted Nugent when you got brought on to be his singer. No, I, I had heard one song, "Cat Scratch Fever," which was sure. of course, known in England. Yeah. But but. That that was it. That's all I knew. I had no idea what I was letting myself in for. I just knew that it was my foot into America, where even yeah. as a kid I dreamt of going to America. You know. Yeah. What can you tell us about him? Any crazy stories? Did you become um, friendly? If you you know, is he? Yeah. Are you getting a Nugent yes. family Christmas card this year? I I bet I do. Yes. Okay. Um, we we actually get along very very well. I, I now Good. know the guy intimately and uh uh-huh. i still like him you know good good <laughs> so. i should say i i know that he's divisive and i don't agree with him politically on too many things but yeah. i have a, i actually have a lot of respect for him i mean just because i disagree doesn't mean i can't like the guy and you know he's entertaining and he's passionate and he seems to give credit to musicians who deserve it i, I don't know about financially and all that stuff but when i hear him interviewed he's always very careful to kind of throw out his the right references and you know, give credit and honor the right people. So I actually like Ted a lot. I, it doesn't matter that I don't, that I disagree with him. Why? I shouldn't mean that the guy's a bad guy. You know what I mean? 
No, he he can be very, very... Um, he can rub people the wrong way, for sure. Yeah. I used to believe that his beliefs in animal hunting were completely alien to me, being English. I'd never sure. picked up a bow and arrow or a gun to shoot an animal in my life. But right. But I did learn that he's not a hypocrite. He, he right. He's not what, what I am. I'm a hypocrite because <laughs> I, I couldn't hurt an animal. I, I, there's no way I could shoot an animal. But I'm more than prepared to have an animal laid out on the, on a plate yep. next to my mashed potato. Yeah. And I've paid, basically, what I've done is I've paid someone else to do my dirty work for me. Yeah. And that Good is point. hypocrisy. And, yeah. and, and I'm as guilty as anybody that, that doesn't understand. Now, Ted... I don't think Ted has bought meat in probably 40 years. Yeah, oh, wow. He kills yeah. his own, yeah. and he utilizes just about everything of the animal that, that, he, that he kills. Yeah. And, and that animal, again, is another, it's another semi-topic, but that animal has never been known what it is to be in a tiny cubicle, fed chemicals and fed, yeah. you know, steroids yeah. and had no life and never seen the sun, never done this, never done that. These animals have been live, they've been out in the wild, they've been having a natural life, and bang, they're dead. Yeah, yeah. Unlike the cows that we eat that have never had a chance to have any sort of merriment in their lives and who are just tortured most of their lives and then killed. Yeah. So... Good point. You know, I, I, I kind of see it from his point of view now. Having said that, I would still have trouble pulling the trigger. Yeah, right. And But that does make me a hypocrite. Yeah, I could see that. Okay, so you got to, I mean, so your dream is, well, I, I could so, I try to avoid going down the political road because it's so, it can be really tempting. But you're, you're feeling as if your dreams are coming true. You're in America, you're, the lead singer for this guy you don't know, but he's he's probably pretty popular. I don't know. Are you hearing your songs on the radio? And was, were you invited to write on that Penetrator album, or were you just there singing songs other people brought to you? Well, initially, I was just brought in to sing some songs. But when it came to rehearsals, I was very privileged and very honored. Because although at the time I didn't realize how honored I, 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 I really should have been, I was working with people who were the cream of the crop. I was working with a guy called Bobby Shunard on drums, who was the finest drummer I'll ever play with. He was a machine of a drummer. Um, he was with Billy Squire and Billy Squire's drummer. We had Doug Lubin on bass, who also yeah. was Billy Squire's, that was Billy Squire's rhythm section. Right, right. And then yeah. a guy called Alan St. John, who was uh, from, from Los Angeles, I think, or San Diego, and, and, and he was a monster player. I was very lucky to, to be yeah. recording this album called Penetrator with these guys. And we had some songs sent in. Ted was in that strange situation where suddenly his songs had become obsolete and, and might be called old-fashioned and, and right. not current. And a few people had sent some songs in. And one day during rehearsal, and there was a song sent in called Tied Up in Love. Well, I can't get enough of you to satisfy enough of me And all my fantasies come into focus 
It was a good song, but it wasn't right, and it, and it, and it never felt right to me, even in the first day of rehearsals and, and whatever. So Ted hadn't come in that morning. He, he, he had some press to do or did something. So we got there earlier, SIR in New York, stu- you know, the, the studios in New York, the rehearsal place. And I, I, I'm trying to work this song out in my head. And I said to, uh, to Bobby Chouinard, I said, Bob, let's play the song just 4-4, four, four, just four on the floor, and just thump through it. And I, they started playing it, and suddenly this new tune came to mind with the same words. I just changed the, the melody and the wow. arrangement. And we did it once, and people goes, wow, that was really cool. Let's try it again, you know. So we, yeah. as we're going yeah. through it the second time, Ted walks in and says, "Man, what song is that?" <laughs> and I said, "Ted, that's that song that the, the this guy sent in." And uh, I kind of reworked it a little bit. And he went, "Man, that sounds so cool. Let, let's let's do it that way." So I thought, "Okay, fantastic." Yeah. yeah. Right. And then Ted said to me, "Well, look, um, I've got some ideas. Let's you and I sit down and we will work on these songs." Oh, fantastic, yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. Yeah. So I did that, and we worked on about four four or five songs, I suppose. Right. Don't, don't You Want My Love was one of them. songs that, that were certainly good enough to be on the album, you know. Sure. Mm-hmm. And then, I, you know, after we'd finished recording it at the Power Factory in New York, we went out to uh, out to Sausalito, to the, to the, the plant studio. And that, right. that was another place I'd heard of and, and always sure. dreamt of. But suddenly I'm in there and I'm recording there. And it was like, wow, I can't believe this. This has got to blow your mind. You're being oh, flown did, all man. over was, America. To make yeah. rock music after being in your little Portsmouth town struggling away yeah. just it was, weeks it was, before. It was un- unreal. It really was. Yeah. We get there and, you know, the, we, we wrapped this album up. And I said to, to, to Ted's manager, Doug Banker, I said, well, Doug, w- what do we do about about the songwriting? Because I've got, I wrote a couple of songs with Ted, three or three, three or four songs with Ted. He said, oh, well, no, it, it, don't, don't worry about that. We'll sort that out a bit later on. But your name will be on the credits. So I'm, I'm, I'm happier than, 
you know, yeah. a pig in, as, <laughs> yeah, a right. pig in, you know. So yeah. <laughs> I tell my I tell my parents, man, I, I actually co-wrote a few songs on this thing, you know. Yeah. And they went, oh, son, that's marvelous. Well done, and all this, you know. So anyway, the record comes out, and I get sent a promotional copy of it, and my name's not on the credits. Yeah. And I'm, I'm like, so I called up Doug Banker. I said, Doug, I don't know what happened. I said, but my name's not, not on the writing credits for, for four of those songs. And he said, um, it's not? Hmm. Okay, mm. let me, let me. Let me look Fuck into you. that. Yeah, yeah but, uh, but, but it'll be on the next pressing. This is only the first pressing, Brian, so don't worry. It'll, it'll be on the next pressing. So I thought, oh, okay, all right, that's fine, no problem. Uh, of course, it never appeared on the next yeah. pressing. Yeah. <laughs> oh. And then I'd heard from Derrickson Holmes, mm. who was a previous singer to me with Ted, Yep. and uh, he had the same story to say. That he never got oh. the credits for writing songs, and oh. you know, which was a bit of a blow. But anyway, the well, record came out, and it was it came it out. Was, it was relatively successful. We had, we had a song that was a big radio song called "Tied Up in Love," which I thought I'd written, but apparently <laughs> I haven't. <laughs> so, so oh, and this, is, it this went becomes on. a common theme. It sounds like because. We don't have to jump to it right now, but I believe financial issues are partly what led to the to you leaving Bad Company at some point, right? Yeah, it kind of was. I, I, okay. it, it was. Um, I, I was. I, I'm not greedy in any way, shape, or form. Money sure. has never been my driving force. I mean, music to me is 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 such a. I'm so fortunate to even be able to do what I do for a living. That um, right. I've never really done it for the benefits of being rich or living in a big house or, or, or whatever. I've never, I've never entered my mind. But when it comes down to the fact that you're actually struggling to, to get by, yeah. you know, there comes a time when you have to say, hey, this is not quite right. Yeah. yeah so, understood. And then okay. the phone rang. Yeah. So, okay, yeah. So this is the bridge then to, uh, to Bad Company. What happened? Well, I was still at Ted's house up in northern Michigan, Jackson, Michigan. Okay. Uh-huh. Um, a nice house, not nothing extravagant, but a but a nice house, you know, a, a, a log cabin. And the phone went, and it was Mick Jones from Foreigner. What? Yeah, it was really quite weird because I wasn't sure if Ted was on the other extension or not, <laughs> so I was I was a bit panic stricken. Yeah. And Mick is saying, "So where are you?" What are you doing up there? And I said, well, I'm just starting to, to work on another b- bunch of songs for the next Ted Nugent record. He said, no, you're not. And I said, well, what do you mean? He said, I've got some people in London that, that are interested in having you as the singer. Would you be interested? I said, Nick, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know. You know, he said, well, you've heard of the group Bad Company. I went, yeah. He said, well... They're going to reform without their their, their old singer. And I went, yeah. Uh-huh. And he said, I'd put you up for it. Do you know Mick Jones? What? Do you yes, I, I I've known Mick um, since 1973. Um, really? We we'd actually tried to put some songs together back in 1973 when he was 
in Spooky Tooth. Huh. Because he, he was, his parents, and he lived in Portsmouth for a short time, but his parents lived there pretty much full time in my hometown. Yeah. So we kind of we kind of hung out a bit, and uh, I always I, I I always will look up to Mick because he's the epitome of what a guitar player should be, you know. Yeah. And uh, I I just I, I was just very fortunate that he he thought enough of me to to team up with Mick and Simon. I didn't think that later on down the road, by the way. But, yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> right. But, you know, it's like yeah. I said well. What, what 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 do you want me to do? He said, "Well, look, I want, you need to be in New York next weekend." And I said, "Well, why?" He said, "Well, because you're going to have a meeting at the Mayflower Hotel with Mick Ralphs and Simon Kirk, and you're going to see if you can work together." Okay. Yeah. All right. So the time came. I arrived in New York, and. We met at the Mayflower, and we had a chat, and I thought, well, these guys seem seem pretty cool. And the first thing they said was, we want you to write. Really? Okay. And I was like... So that was understood from the beginning? Yeah, absolutely. And I said, well, we want you to write with us, and, and we'll be like a like a real band, and, yeah. uh, you know, you'll be a part of it, not just paid a, a wage. You'll, you'll be a third member of, of the band. And uh, we want to get going on this, you know. Huh. So then I had to, you know, then I had to really, I had to work out how to break this to Ted. Because mm. I'm thinking he's going to shoot me and I'll be on his plate tomorrow. <laughs> you know? Right. Because you never know, you know. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> so I didn't give my decision right there and then. I, I, I said, look, can you give me a day to think this through? Because I really need to. You know, because I, I took a big gamble coming to New York to be with Ted, and I took a gamble, and I worked hard, and I got my nose down, and I, I worked very, very hard at this. Is this something I want to walk away from, just as I think I might be getting the fruits of my, my sure. work? And I, yeah. So I walked around Central Park for about, oh, it must have been three or four hours. And uh, I was due to go back to the Mayflower, to let the guys know my decision and of course during that time I'd, I'd weighed up all the pros and cons and freaked myself out and gave myself sure. all these different scenarios and in the end I thought you know what I'm going to do it I'm going to take another risk I'm going to leave the security of 300 bucks a shot or 300 bucks <laughs> a week <laughs> or five no, sorry 500 pounds a week oh. and leave that security behind you know and, and, and pitch in with, with these guys and so that's what I did. I, I agreed to join them. And uh, I then, a, a, a few days later, I flew back to London. And we began work. We began sitting were down a, and trying to write songs. Yeah. Were you a Bad Company fan? I mean, you didn't know who Ted was, but I assume you knew who Bad Company was. I knew who Bad Company were because I remember when I was, I'm not sure how old I was in 73 or 4. But I know they had a song called "Can't Get Enough," which was—I mean, you couldn't—you couldn't avoid that song on the radio. Sure. I mean, it, it was—it was a huge, a huge song for a debut, a debut single. Yeah. Um, I didn't follow too much after that because that seemed to be their biggest hit in uh, okay. in England. Huh. 
Um, they had others. They had Feel Like Making Love, which, but that was a bit later, of course. Right, and, uh, right. But... Rock and Roll Fantasy and all those Yeah. Songs. I was a big fan of that particular song. Oh. Um, not, not, not Rock and Roll Fantasy and stuff. But obviously they had a, a very good bleach singer. And, uh, yeah. you know, um, so I kind of thought to myself, well, crikey, I, I, I've, I've replaced Derrickson Holmes and Charlie Hune in, in the Ted Nugent band. Now I'm going to be asked to replace a guy who is, who is supposedly one of these rock gods and, and yeah. uh, you know, I mean, just keeps going for you. Going again, yeah. Were so. you were you ever sort of? I mean, that's something I want to ask you about because to me, and, and maybe you're too close to the situation or feel differently. I mean, my personal opinion is that Paul Rogers has one of the greatest voice voices in rock history. As do you. But did you ever feel? I don't. Maybe maybe this new job of yours didn't come with that kind of weight. I would imagine getting hired to be the frontman of Bad Company also means that, like you said, stepping in the sh- shadow or the shoes of Paul Rogers, one of the greatest vocalists ever, did you ever feel any kind of added pressure or like, I don't know if I can do that, or the expectations are too high? Or were you sort of emotionally cut off from him or the band enough where you just thought, oh, sure, this sounds good, and I think I can sing these songs, and was it more well, casual than that? Well, first of all, I, 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 I was never in Paul Rogers' shadow because I'm taller than him. Um, <laughs> but, but ultimately, um, yeah. I knew that I was putting my head on the block. In fact, several people in the business said, Brian, you don't want to do this. This is, yeah. you, you're, you know, you're going to be compared and you're never going to have the success that that they had. And it's like, this is a, this could be a real backward move for you. This this could actually kill your career. And I sat down and thought about that as well. And I thought, well, I love proving people wrong if I can, yeah. you know. So we went on with it. And, and Paul is is recognized as, as one of the great rock and roll singers. But most singers that I've spoken to have the same opinion as me. Yes, he's got a great tone to his voice uh-huh. he has no range at all mm, that's true yeah no okay. range he sings in one style he's, he doesn't have what we call an adaptive voice okay. he just sings in, in in one key pretty much and he can't go much further than that and most of the singers that i know can do some octaves you know we, we, yeah. we can push things and we can go up and down and, and uh, mm. we're not restricted uh, now, by the way, I'm not knocking Paul in any way. No, form, that's, because this he, is technical talk. That's very yes. interesting. I hadn't thought of that before. Okay. Yeah, he's um, among singers. He's very respected, but we all are very aware that he has a very limited range. Okay. Fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So you've come in and you joined Bad Company, and I mean they were sort of down in the dumps at this point. So it's really your opportunity to kind of help reinvent them. You know, you go into the first album, Fame and Fortune, and you've helped written some of these songs, like This Love, yeah. which, and you have a minor hit with This Love.
mentioned that they were looking to you to write. When you got in there, were you finding that writing was not as collaborative as maybe you thought it would be? Were they? I, I'm imagining these guys are sort of, you know, they've been in the group for a while. They see this fresh blood come in. He's writing hits. The temptation there is to sort of sit back and let you do all the work. Or were they right there with you, like, you know, uh, putting in their well, sense, feeling like a, a, a fair partner? Well, with the first them. album, which was called Fame and Fortune, um, I, I had written a song already with a, with a buddy of mine, Chris Fretwell, uh, before I joined Bad Company or Ted News. I'd written that song with, with um, Chris Fretwell called This Love. Uh-huh. And um, they liked it. And so we recorded it, and it did become the first single. Now, with the other material on that record, I kind of tried to collaborate with them, but it was was already becoming a little bit strained because Nick would give me some riffs, and he'd give me a cassette full of guitar riffs and little chord sequences and send me home with them. And I'd, I'd come back to his house on a Monday after the weekend and say, right, I've got this melody and this idea for this. And there was one in particular that was a really good idea. That, you know, I, I came up with a really good melody and some words, and it, it, it had the basis of being a very workable song. And I brought it back, and I played it for Mick, and Mick said to me with a straight face, wow. And I thought, oh, he's happy. He said, wow, man. He said, You've written exactly what I wrote for it. What? And I went, really? What? <laughs> what do you mean? What? Yeah, what does went, that yeah, mean? That's exactly what I had for it. And I thought, oh, no. This is going to be another Ted Nugent story. Yes. This is going to be another. Was that just a weird backhanded way to not give you the credit? Sounds yeah. like it. That's oh, what it was. man. Yeah. Yeah. And I knew then, and that was before we'd even started work, really, on on the first album. I knew then that there was something not quite right with this with yeah. this story. And later on, of course, I learned a lot of things that uh, I wish okay. I hadn't. But um, yeah, you know, it's very sad. It's very sad. Yeah. Oh man. But you're you're having success. I mean, in spite of this kind of undercurrent of weirdness and frustration you know holy water comes out that's a big hit wait dangerous age was next wasn't it sorry dangerous um, age came out after uh yeah after, after fame and fortune fame and fortune yeah and, but it, the uh, what, success keeps building well what happened was and, and and i'll be perfectly candid with you um what happened we had a big meeting in wardour street in london um before dangerous age um after Fame and Fortune had come out and come and gone. And it, it, there was a this tiny, tiny bit of recognition for Fame and Fortune, nothing much. Uh-huh. And uh, we knew we had to make another record. We were contracted to do five. So we sat in the office, and Bud Prager, um, our American manager, had flown in for the meeting, and, and Phil Carson, bless him, he, he, he was the English party to the management. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had this big meeting, and we were told to go off and write songs and whatever. But after the meeting, we dispersed, and I, I happened to catch Bud Prager walking down the road, and I walked along with him. 
He said, okay, Brian. He said, so, so what do you think about this? And I said, do you want the truth, Brian, or do you want me to lie to you? No. And he said, no, I want the truth. I said, well, if you don't get someone in to help me write songs, this band's finished. Because they're not going to write songs. They're going to go yeah. home and do what they do, and they're not going to put any work in. They're going to turn up with a bunch of ideas that are old-fashioned, boring, and pretty much worthless. Really? Wow. I'm telling you right now, it's good. we're just wasting our time. He went, okay, well, let me think on this, and I'll, I'll be in touch. So he went back to, to New York, and he called me a few days later. And he said, Brian, I've been thinking about what you said, and um, I'm going to hook you up with somebody who I think you might be able to write with, and his name is Terry Thomas. He's a, he's a producer. He actually lives in London. So you'll be able to see him and, and go up there and work with him and see if you can come up with just three songs. And if you get three songs, three good ones, we know that will carry the album. And I said, all right. So fantastic. Did you know who he was? Did you no, two form a pretty successful partnership? You didn't know, never heard of him? No, I haven't. Okay. And uh, I, Bud gave me a CD, or it wasn't a CD back then, it was a record. Um, uh, no, it, it was a CD. It was one of the early days of CDs uh, by Tommy Shaw. Terry Thomas produced Tommy Shaw from Styx. Yeah. And it, the and it was a really Guns good album record. or something? Yeah, okay. I don't know which one it was, but it was a very good album. And I was quite impressed. I thought, wow, that sounds exciting. The songs sound well-constructed and, and good. You know, and Tommy, of course, sings like a bird. I thought, wow, this this is the real deal. I can I can I can work with this guy. So we hooked up and we actually wrote a song on the on the first day. We 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 only got together just to sit down and hammer out a couple of silly ideas, but we wrote a complete song and which one? It was done. Um, I need to ask you that. Walking in like a vision, dirty boy. Ah, oh, sure, dirty boy. Hey everybody, let me cut in for some business here. I want to talk about shares. First of all, thank you to everyone who shares the podcast. We could not do this without you. I am so grateful for all of you. Let me read off your names. Grown Up Rock and Sonny Pooney, Hub Rigel, Bud Verge, Jay Sabluski, Kerry Carlson, Anthony Porter, Jason Simon, Save Rock and Metal, I See Greg. If I missed anyone, it's just because I, don't, I didn't see it or know about it. But I'm so grateful for all of you. It does feel like we're sort of spotlighting, it's the same kind of core people every week. And um, I don't want to minimize their efforts. I'm so grateful for all of you. But I, I worry that I'm just kind of boring everyone by saying the same names over and over again. So I don't know, we may take a little break from this uh, midsection for a little while, kind of save it for when there's more uh, bigger news to report. I, I want to say something about our guest sharing too. It's been a while. It's been a while since anyone has really gotten behind one of their episodes. It's kind of breaking my heart. So Burley Drummond last week of Ambrosia, he didn't share. He did send me a nice email about it, but um, that was it. As far as I know, the Ambrosia fans have never seen it. David Jenkins of Palo Cruz, they didn't share it. Uh, his wife, Jamie Kyle, did share. And I contacted her, because we're Facebook friends, and said, you know, is there any way we can get this in front of Pablo Cruz? She said, we'll worry, we're working on it. And then uh, it never happened. So that didn't, nothing happened there. 
John Oates did share his episode. I had to kind of prod his people a couple of times. They eventually did. It was more of just like a forward, like from the Hustle Pod on Facebook. It wasn't any like, this was fun, or check out this new interview with John, or no fanfare or anything like that. Uh, and it was not shared by Hall & Oates, which that's what we were hoping for, because that's like a million people. So it was good, but it wasn't great. Um, Bill Janovitz did, of Buffalo Tom, did forward or retweet our tweet after Bless your hearts, guys. A few of you responded to it saying how much you liked it. Um, you'll, you guys will have to tell me. I, I guess because I don't spend a lot of time on Twitter and I don't quite even understand it very well, to me, Facebook is a more powerful medium. Maybe because I'm seeing it, I can see that they share it and maybe comment on it. So if somebody just retweets something without any kind of comment, that doesn't feel very impactful to me. But maybe I'm way off. You guys tell me. Um, I do know, thanks to our current president, that Twitter is a powerful tool. I just, I do not see the power in it. So I kind of don't, I don't know, I don't really count that. Maybe I should. Bobby Harris of the Daz Band, he never shared his. Daniel Dax never shared hers. She's not really on social media. There is a very small fan page of hers on Facebook. They did post it, thankfully. Uh, but otherwise, that was about it. Michael Camacho never shared his. Brad Elvis never shared his. And Brad shares everything. So he must really have not liked our interview, which is fine because I didn't really like it either. Um, Bruce Thomas of Elvis Costello and the Attractions. That one did really, really well. And he said that he shared it, but I never saw any evidence of that. Um, and I've checked. We're Facebook friends too. Uh, I never saw any kind of sharing, but he told me he did. Maybe he did somewhere and I just don't see it. Uh, it must have worked because that one did pretty well, but I never saw it. Scott Wilk of Bone Symphony, he never shared his. And then Steve Thompson, the producer, mega producer, he was the last one who really got behind his episode. And I say all this just because it kind of breaks my heart. I feel like we, we work really hard to put these little love packages together for these people so that their fans can feel validated and like, oh, somebody out there cares about my favorite band and you know, ask the questions that I would want to ask. That's why we do this. And it just hurts me to think that these people have thousands of fans out there that will never know these little pieces of history are out there for them to take. Uh, it just kind of breaks my heart. Anyway, uh, let's get into re uh, recommendations. Nigel Walters uh, came up with a really good one. Ian Burden or Joe Callis from the Human League. They were early members of the band. I have tried to get Human League on here or reach out to them. You know, bigger names sometimes don't have contact buttons on their website, and Human League is one of those. And so I don't know how to reach them when that's the case. Maybe, maybe Twitter, maybe Facebook. I have sent messages on Facebook I've never heard back. So I don't know. But that is a great idea because then I, could, I really want to talk to somebody from Human League. Uh, Evan Moore came up with the Alessi brothers, which is an interesting one. When I interviewed uh, Pepe Castro very early on, like 22, episode 22 or something, um, he mentioned them because they had a career like his where they started out in rock and as the career kind of started to peter out, they moved into jingles and advertising and were very successful. So um, I had a couple people tell me then you should go after the Alessi brothers and I just never got around to it. So I should look into that one. That's a good one. Uh, Tom Neuerberg, who, super fan Tom, I love you Tom, uh, he's the one who recommended Buffalo Tom, and uh, another listener, Michael Waterman, love Michael, I, I should say here, they, you know, I talked about that 
that sad moment when I went out to I went out to Utah to uh, for the holidays and I wasn't able to get in touch with Brian Jensen. I was while I was out there able to go to a great lunch with Michael. We hung out for a few hours. It was so good just talking music. Anyway, those two have requested missing persons. And I've thought about them. I've never honestly been that big of a fan, which you would think I would I would be given my love for 80s you know, new wave and all that kind of stuff. I have reached out to Warren Cucurulo, who was their guitarist and went on to be the guitarist in Duran Duran. I thought he would be perfect because then we could cover both bands, but uh, I've never heard back and I've reached out a couple of times. So anyway, that's one I'll have to look into. Also, I'll tell you guys a story. A lot of you have asked over the years, does anyone ever ask to be paid to come on the show? And that's never happened, but I think it did happen recently. So I got this email. I don't know how I be, how I got on some, I don't know, some publicist's email list or whatever, but I got this email saying that Africa Bombada was um, soliciting appearances. Like, does anyone want soli- uh, Africa Bombada to come put on a concert or anything like that? Well, I've always had him on my list. I would love to get him on the show. So I replied to whoever this guy was and I said, you know, I, I don't do anything. I do this podcast and I would love to have him come on. What do you think? And the guy wrote back and said, yeah, it looks really good. What is your budget for guests? And I said, well, if you're implying what do I pay? I don't pay anyone to come on the show. They just want to be interviewed and we try to turn people on to their music and hear their careers. That's what this would be. And I never heard back. So I can now say somebody, I, I think, if I understand his solicitation properly, uh, Africa Bombada's publicist wanted to be paid, unfortunately. Uh, and let me mention one other thing too. The uh, I had posted on Facebook the other day about what, possibly talking to somebody affiliated with Jeff Healy, who has passed on. Um, I got a lot of people, understandably, requesting like, well, if you're gonna, I'm guessing what's going through their mind is, well, if you're gonna talk to dead people, I got some ideas. Let's talk to the son of this person and the daughter of this person and the producer of that guy and the roadie for this guy and all this kind of stuff. I, I'll just be honest, guys. These episodes take a lot of work, and the listener request episodes, uh, when it's a, when it's a, a band that I'm not like too emotionally invested in, that takes a lot of work. And I would rather, if I'm going to do all that work, put it towards somebody who is alive. So, I these you know episodes on dead people, they that those will probably be sort of like special occasions. And honestly, they will probably mostly just be people who either Yan or I are super passionate about. I I don't know that. It just takes too much work, and and it's and uh, frankly, it's I feel so guilty when I don't <laughs> when I don't take your requests that I can't deal with the guilt. It makes me feel bad. So let's just not go there. And in fact, uh, on that same kind of angle, a lot of the rec- recommendations that I get from you guys are largely from the same people, much like the people who share. So you're welcome to keep them coming, but I am completely overwhelmed with requests. Either the stuff I'm trying to do uh, that I'm interested in, or the requests that have come in that I'm trying to pursue, are it's literally like hundreds of people. So uh, I may have to take a little step back from requests. You're welcome to keep them going. I don't know when I will be able to get to any of them. Um, I've got literally probably 20 interviews in uh, various stages of scheduling right now as we as we speak. So it'll be a while. 
Anyway, uh, let's get to some reviews real quick. We got two of them this week, and they were so nice. Laidback Mike, five stars, a gem of a podcast. I stumbled onto the Hustle podcast after hearing John being interviewed about the passing of Pat Denizio. That must have been stuck in the 80s. After that, I've been hooked. Congratulations on a great podcast. Thank you, Layback Mike. Um, I'm glad you, I'm, we found so many new people through uh, Stuck in the 80s. Welcome, all of you. I'm so grateful that you're here. Uh, and then another one, Pulp Tom. I don't know who that is, Pulp Tom. Uh, love this podcast, five stars. This review is long overdue. One of the things about podcasts that I really enjoy is how so many of them are interconnected. As an example, I discovered the Hustle podcast when host John Lamoureux sat in as a guest host on another of my fave podcasts, Rock Solid. That's the other big one. That's where most of you came from. He described the hustle and what it was all about, and immediately I knew it was a show meant for a guy like me. John speaks to some of my favorite forgotten or underappreciated artists, most recently Bill Janovitz of Buffalo Tom, and we feel like we really get to know them. Love this show. Everyone give it a listen. Thank you, Pulp Tom. Maybe that's Tom Neuerberg. I don't know. Anyway, thank you guys, every one of you, for supporting us and being so kind and uh, furthering the cause and getting involved in this. I, I know that I sort of run this thing, but I try to be as diplomatic as I can, and so I'm grateful for all the feedback and the support. And then one last thing, we still have our t-shirts out there. I don't think anyone's buying them anymore, but if you wanted to, they're $19.99 and they're on Amazon. And you can just type in Hustle Podcast Merch. You'll find everything you need. Okay, let's get back to Brian. The first song Terry Thomas and I ever wrote. And uh, that, that went on the album. Yeah. And uh, after that, we were only supposed to write three songs. We ended up writing like 10 or 11. Right. And, including uh, No Smoke Without Fire. Including that was No Smoke that Without was Fire. Yeah, yeah. So it was all moving very, very well. But what I didn't understand or realize at the time was that once these songs were demoed and we presented our songs, you know, we wrote enough songs, but we only thought three would get used because I figured the other guys would be home working industriously on, on their stuff too, you know. But they weren't. No. They were happy to sit back and let you do all the work. And yeah. claim some of the credit and kind of yeah. back on you. Let you, yes. you know, carry them through these next few years. Well, I didn't realize that at the time that was what was happening, but but along with that came success. Yeah. And resentment. Right. Because suddenly 
I was lucky enough to have written some songs that people liked, and they didn't like it. They did not like it one tiny bit. Well, what were they? What were they going to do? I mean, they hire this guy to come in, and they ask you to write, and they're seeing success. Did they just want you to be quiet? Were they hoping that you would write the album tracks and that they would write hits? Yes. I, I would. Yes. Okay. So I, and so they're, they're resenting the level of power that you're getting, and I'm imagining naturally you're like, "Hey guys, I'm the one writing the hits here. You should follow. You should be doing. You should be listening to me. You know." But uh, well, it's I, I, I never this put power it, schism. I never put it like that, but it was like sure, but I thought I was in a team. Yeah. Yeah, I thought I was right. in a team. I thought I was a team player, and I was helping the team. Right. I really thought, wow, these guys are going to be over the moon with this song because this is going to, yeah. you know, give us another tour, a big tour, or, or, or whatever. Yeah. I, I was pleased as punch. I, I, I never dreamt that there would be resentment. Right. I always thought there'd be, uh, you know, yeah. slaps on the back, say, wow, Brian, well done. But Thank no, you. it all yeah. started to go horribly wrong, and they were and getting scary. And when you go scary. out before, Sorry to interrupt. When you go out on tour, you, you're singing the old Bad Company songs, right? Yes, of course, yeah. Okay. But I yeah. think it's interesting that I highly doubt they are out there now with Paul Rogers singing your songs. Oh, absolutely not. Sort of, no, they probably think that your period sort of doesn't exist. That's sort of well, a that, that just, thing. Well, that, that just goes to show how much they resented the fact right. that there was success. And yeah. that they wanted to, that, that the new kid had come into town and had in their minds, had stolen their thunder. Right. But in, in reality, all I had really done was do my best for them, for the band, for the team. But they just didn't like it. Yeah. They just did not like it at all. In fact, they were... Mick, Mick, Mick Ralphs, in particular, was was very destructive at, at this point. He He refused to even come in the studio and play on some of the songs. In really? fact, most of the songs, which is why... Terry Thomas played guitar on nearly all of the albums that I made with Bad Company. The only thing that Mick Rouse played on was the solos. No way. Oh. Oh. Yeah. oh. How does it carry on? I mean, you know, and Holy Water becomes even bigger than Dangerous Age. This thing keeps building, and yet everyone behind the scenes can't stand each other. How do these things continue? How do you function in that kind of, you know, anxiety i would just it would make my skin crawl i would want to well, die it, it did and, and i had said I, i'm leaving the band after dangerous age i said i can't take anymore this is this is really silly no smoke was was, was such a big song it got us on mtv which yeah. for a band a band of our state was was you know it, it was phenomenal to be on on mtv because that was the big that was the big record selling Vehicle National radio station, absolutely. Yeah, so I just had enough, and I and I went to the record label and I said, "Look, I, I'm done. I, I can't take any more of this abuse. I just can't take it. They're they're just making my life a misery. Yeah. So I'm going to go away and I'm going to write some songs with Terry Thomas and I'm going to make a solo record." And they went, oh, "Okay, well, all right, <laughs> all right." So. I started work on this new batch of songs with Terry, Holy Water and Walk Through Fire and and stuff like that, and if and uh, and, and a song called um, If You Needed Somebody. 
I'd finished the demos and I'd, I'd, I'd sent them to Derek, Derek Shulman, uh, who was a, a very, very astute um, boss of the label uh-huh. at ATCO. At, at he, he, flew, he flew back to England to meet with me at my house in Portsmouth. And he said, Brian, I, I've got to talk to you, dude. I've got to talk to you. He said, look, I love the new songs. I love Holy Water. I love If You Need Somebody, I love Walk Through Fire, I love all the songs you've done, uh-huh. but if it doesn't have the name Bad Company on it, mm-hmm. it's it's not going to sell. Right. And my ego is saying, yeah, but, 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 yeah. you know. Right. <laughs> he's saying, but these are mine. Right. Yeah. yeah. Right. And it's yeah. like, Brian, I'm telling you the truth. I'm not, I'm not lying to you. He said, I know what's going on with Bad Company. He said, I know what they're trying to do. He said, I know they, they're trying to force you out because they're jealous. He yeah. said, but please make this the next Bad Company album. He said, please. Yeah. He said, if you do, I've got your back. I've got your back. Don't worry about them. I'll, I'll send them off and, and we'll have a, a huge album with this. So reluctantly, I I I I went. Yeah, all right. <laughs> you know, that's, that's right. the record label boss. He's gonna he's gonna be watching this. So yep. okay, let's do it. So lo and behold, Holy Water comes out, and it's the biggest smash bad company I've had in in decades. I mean, it, yeah. it was yeah. you know it was huge, and uh, yeah. and it was good. You know, yeah. But even on that record, Mick Rouse refused to turn up and play on it. He uh, he didn't want to play on it at all, so he only played the solos, and Terry did all the rest. Oh man, yeah, uh, pretty sad. Wow, biggest success, and you're not even able to enjoy it. Um, now let me. So one thing we talked about in here, uh, we kind of tried to cover sensitively the business side of some of these things. It, yeah, I mean, it did sound like you know you are. I'm, you are getting writing credit on all of this. Yeah. Um, are you, has there been any problems or drama around continuously to this day receiving accurate royalties and credit for all of these songs? <laughs> oh boy. Did I just ask the wrong well, question? Well, it's, it's a legal matter, so I can't go too deeply into it, but okay. there is, there is going to be some, um, um, shall we say looking into it. <laughs> Got it. Okay. I wondered. 
Yeah. Yeah. It's it, okay. it's a it's a very it's a very suspect business. In you know, w- w- whenever there's money fly, flying around like there was sure. at that particular juncture, I mean, there's a lot of money that that can be misconstrued or misplaced, and and yeah. uh, you know, and I I am pretty confident that that has happened. But again, that's going to be a legal matter and something that is is, is currently being looked into. Right. Okay. I was just curious. Um, yeah. So I got one last thing I got to tell you. Um, How about that is one of my all-time favorite songs. One of the most. If I could, if I could just put you doing the ooze on a loop, I could do that for and listen to just you singing that those ooze for <laughs> hours and hours and hours and hours. It, that song makes me more happy than most songs that have ever been recorded, and I'm a huge music nut. And so I just wanted you to know that I like a lot of your stuff, obviously, but that song in particular has brought me hours of joy in my life. Thank you for doing so many things, but thank you for that. Those four four or five minutes of pleasure is one of the greatest things I've ever heard. The, That's I, amazing. Uh, the That's ooze. amazing. Thank you. No, no problem. Oh my gosh, the ooze. <laughs> <laughs> they just warm my heart. I melt. Every ooh, time I baby, know. ooh. <laughs> oh, I love it. Oh man, how about that? And those oohs right before are just the greatest. So um, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so in the, you know, basically the early 90s, things kind of grind to a halt finally, it sounds like. So I'm curious, when you sort of venture out on a solo career, yeah. how how much of the bad company audience that discovered, because, you know, there's a whole new generation. They're not, you're a completely different generation and decade from the guys who 
the people who found Bad Company when they were young and doing the 70s hits, you know? Yeah, yeah. Are you noticing a chunk of their audience now following you even to this day? Yes, I am. I am. Okay, good. Um, Is it better than you? I mean, I don't know if it's like 2% of these people or you're able to maintain a living as a musician thanks to, you know, the fandom that you built up carrying Bad Company during those years. Well, yeah. I mean, there's there's a fair amount of that. I mean, the, the trouble is with following somebody such as Paul Rogers is that we never had a publicity agent to speak of. We we never promoted who was in the band. We never had, uh, you know, I, I, I never had a publicity agent promoting Brian Howe as the singer for Bad Company. So, mm-hmm. and they certainly weren't going to hire somebody to promote Brian Howe as their new singer because they were already in a state of um, of of I hate to use the word jealousy because it's an unnecessary trait in humans but that's what it was they were so fearful it was their band this is their baby and suddenly this guy is taking it away from them in their mind but I wasn't like I said earlier I I was purely and utterly a team player yeah and I was shocked at how they were treating me I was shocked And, and I was like I just don't understand the logic People that would cut their own nose off to spite their face, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. it's it's just illogical to me. So, when it came to my going solo wise, one of the difficulties, of course, was was when I wanted to go solo and I went solo eventually. Um, was I was quite prepared to go out and do a whole new catalogue of songs, which I'd since written and 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 and, and thought they were damn good songs. Yeah. But of course, then you enter the arena of the people that buy the shows, the people that want to promote the show and they want to seat people on seats and put bums on seats. And sure, uh, sure. So they don't want somebody coming in whose name isn't as promoted as some other people. you know. So, right. And the first question they ask the agent is, is he doing the hits? Mm. And of course the hits mean no smoke, holy water, if you need somebody, walk through fire, boys cry tough, can't get enough, feel like making love, you know, the old hits and the new hits. Mm -hmm. And if you don't do them, they won't book you. So I was still lumbered with having to do Bad Company songs. Even the pre, even the Paul Rogers Bad Company stuff, when you were being hired for gigs, they were expecting you to come in and sing those as well? Yes. Uh, you have no ownership of those songs though you're basically promoting a different band you're not even promoting yourself if you do that no but see the thing is when when we reformed bad company it was suddenly as we go back to the previous topic we were suddenly in the mtv era oh yeah now there were no videos of paul rogers in bad company Mm -hmm. so nobody knew who he was Mm -hmm. didn't know what he looked like Good point. So suddenly, for 15 years of of MTV, people only saw Bad Company videos with me as the singer. So they really assumed that I was the singer of those previous songs. Right. Okay. So people that were buying bands and buying shows were of, they were suddenly 30 years old and all they knew was the MTV. Mm -hmm. So... I was caught in, in a crossfire of uh, either 
going completely broke or complying with what they wanted, which was the hits. Okay. Yeah, makes sense. All right. You know, so it's kind of, it's a double-edged sword. Yeah. I I love singing those old songs because they're great songs to sing, you know? Yeah. It's a shame you, um, you know, if you, when you joined Bad Company, uh, talk about a double-edged sword. Obviously, you carry on the name Bad Company. That gives you name recognition, which gets you played more often. It's Mm -hmm. a shame you guys couldn't have, if you'd called yourself something else, and you were the frontman of the frontman of that band, and then when everyone breaks up, you m- maintain ownership of that band of that name, and you can carry on for the rest of your life as you know the lead singer of you know whatever the name of your new band is. Yeah. Instead, you've got to market yourself as Brian Howe, former lead singer of Bad Company, singer of hits such as you know Holy Water, yeah. Smoke Without yeah. Fire. You know, it's this whole protracted thing rather than uh, yeah. These are just some of those. It's a shame you couldn't have, um, if you guys had been called something else, a lot of this would have been, you know, avoided. But Well, you're right. And, and here's another little story that takes us back to 1986 during the recording of Fame and Fortune. Um, we were going to call ourselves a different name. We were going to call really? ourselves aut- Automatic. Mm. And uh, we were pretty much set on calling ourselves that. And then we get a phone call from, from Armit Ertigan. Uh, from Atlantic Records, who, who was a very famous mogul in, 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 sure. in the business. Mm-hmm. And we hadn't quite signed the contract yet, although we were in the studio, so a, a pre-contract had been signed. But he said to us, listen, guys, it was a conference call with a speaker in the middle of the room. Mm-hmm. He said, listen, guys, um, do you have a name yet? And we said, well, we kind of do, and uh, we're not totally sure of it yet, but it's automatic. you know." And he went, hmm. Okay, he said, listen, here's what I'm going to propose to you guys, and uh, I want you to listen to me. Oh, okie dokie. All right. He said, listen, we'll give you something like $400,000 if you call yourselves automatic to make the record and pay for everything, or we'll give you 800000 if you call it Bad Company. Oh, yeah. And the first person to say, let's do that, was Mick Ralphs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then the second person was Simon Kirk. I was the one that did not want to do that. Yeah. Uh, But, of course, two to one, I'm outvoted. And you're the new guy. And I'm the new guy. So I kind of knew. It was that moment that I knew that my head was really firmly on the block. But yeah. that was fine. That was fine. Yeah. I mean, that's, huh. that's part and parcel of what you do. So. Well, it's tough. Yeah. I mean, you guys are out there. You're like I said. You're carrying on based on the success they built with the bad company name, but you're furthering the bad company name with the success you're bringing to the table. That can't be an easy. That's a, such a dichotomy. I mean, um, it can't be easy to be in that situation. It's not easy for any band to replace their lead singer. Let, let's be yeah. honest. I mean, most bands are identifiable by by their lead singer. You get one or two that's, that's identified by the lead guitar player, which maybe Van Halen was. Right. Um, but even they had the, the the audacity to change singers two or three times. Right. You know? yeah. And uh, they've had problems ever since, regardless. So, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, it's it's just yeah. like... I was born in Portsmouth. 
a young kid thrown in the music business. I don't know my ass from my elbow. And suddenly I'm being asked to make these huge decisions. You know, well, maybe they were right. Maybe they were they were wrong. I don't know. But you have to live by those decisions. Sure. And I and I have to. I have to say, I've had a I've had a lovely career. I mean, I'm, I'm I not going to say. say I mean, at a... the end of the day, you're here, and your people know and love these songs, and they're thanks to you, and you're still able to make it as a professional musician. And I mean, that's yeah. huge. You know, I mean, it's all right or wrong. It's all thanks to this, you know, experience as tough as it might have been. That's how you build the rest of your life. You know, is on those yeah. rough situations. Uh, now, speaking of new stuff. We got to talk about a couple of things. Hot Tin Roof is a single uh-huh. you've put out recently. That thing is yeah. awesome. I got a new fascination, and it's all about you. And there's a chance to be taken, and I don't know what to do. Tell us about, and then there's a piano song that I was sent to, I don't think it's a final version that people can buy or anything like that, but you're working on something called Piano Song. Tell me about what you're doing now. I'm in the middle of, the, the album's pretty much finished. I, I, I'm very fussy about how things are mixed and how things are finally produced, so I'm taking a lot of time and, and care over that. But then what happened early or, or late last year was we, we I put the record pretty much to bed and, and uh was going to leave it for a month or two to um, let it settle and then listen to it fresh. But I wrote a song that, which I was going to add to the record, which is called Piano Song, but is now called Going Home. What is left here isn't me I've known love I've shown fear All of my lifetime Has brought me here Ooh, how time has flown Ooh, I'm going home It was a very strange song. I, I just had this burning wish to write a song about somebody contemplating their own death and mm. the things that go on in your mind and the things that you must... I mean, everybody, when they're facing their own death, must ask certain questions. There has to be these questions. And the questions are, of course, is there going to be something after this? Am I going to see... Yeah. Am I going to see angels? Am I going to see... Um, relatives yeah. that that have died years ago. Am I? Is 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 this really going to be the end? Is it? Is it? So anyway, I I I wrote a song 
pertaining to that. Um, now, did you write this before or after this recent heart attack? Just before. Whoa! Wow, just before. that was prescient. Goodness. Yeah, it's it's really quite freaky. Yeah, it's really really quite odd. I didn't realize how odd it was until I had actually recovered and gained consciousness from the. Because um, I died, I, I actually died twice. Really. I woke up in intensive care not knowing where I was, yeah. not knowing what had happened. And uh, and then I came across this song again. It was it was on my phone, and I, I listened to it again, and I thought, oh, my goodness, this is so prophetic and so, yeah. Yeah. so kind of like it's almost as if I must have known what was what was down the road for me, which, of course, I didn't. But, uh, sure, sure. Yeah, so I'm very proud of that song. It's not not the happiest song in the world. That's okay. It speaks to your experience. Speaking of which, I mean, I don't know. Are you uh, a religious or a spiritual person? Did you learn anything in that near-death experience process that we should know? Well, again, this is something that I've forgotten, and I still don't remember it now. But when I was in the intensive care unit, I once they removed the breathing tube from my from my throat, I was able to talk, uh-huh. and I was telling everyone in there that I'd seen these two people hovering above me, and they were reaching out to me and asking me to go with them. I was I was about to go with them, and then the, suddenly they 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 said to me, "Oh, oh no, you can't come, you can't come. We have to go without you," and I was resuscitated. No way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was like, and do I believe in all that stuff? Absolutely not. Really? No, I'm not a believer in life after death. But I'm telling you this, even though I don't remember it now, Uh the doctors that I did tell and my relatives that I told, they said, Brian, you were absolutely convinced that that happened. Whoa. So, so I don't Far know. Out. I mean, it's still a mystery. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it is for everybody. But uh, okay, I wondered if you had some kind of, you know, basis in faith that made that experience, you know, different or deeper or whatever. It sounds like there's something, something's going on there in your mind, one way or the other. That's yeah, yeah. Okay. I'm not sure about if it's a religious thing. I, I think right. I don't religious mean to or not. That. Just yeah. something, you know, when we're faced in those with those. With that kind of situation, our our hearts and minds go to places we probably never thought they would, you know. And yeah. I was curious where yours w- went. Okay. Yeah, uh, I'm what about curious. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Are we all? <laughs> uh, what about you personally? I mean, are you married or kids or anything like that? No, I'm not married. I'm 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 actually single. I'm uh, okay. I'm contemplating marriage next year with my girlfriend, who I've been seeing pretty much on and off. For the best part of 28 years. No um, way. Whoa. Yeah, we well we broke up for 10 years, and she uh-huh. went off and married some other guy, and uh, was happy, and had a couple of kids yeah. and whatever. But fate brought us back together at, uh, about eight years ago. So yeah, that, that that's going along very nicely, and uh, Good. Okay. looking forward to that. Looking Good. forward to having a normal life. Yeah, yeah, I bet. And you live in Florida. <laughs> I imagine I imagine you're always so suntanned and like leathery with your 
bright, blonde, <laughs> beautiful hair. <laughs> every time I see pictures of you, and I always think, I, that looks like a guy who wakes up every morning, puts on his flip-flops and his tattered cargo shorts and a T-shirt, and just walks down to the beach, which is like probably right outside his backyard. You know, That's kind of how I envision your life. Every day. Well, you're pretty much on the money with that. But, of course, since my heart attack, those days are over, and I now have to put on my sporting wear, and yeah. I have to walk at a very high pace, um, four or f three or four miles every morning at 6 a.m. Oh, and I'm now on a, on a health regime, which has helped me gain my, my heart strength back, which, which, of course, I was sadly lacking in for yeah. quite a while. But yeah, I do. I, I live on Fort Myers Beach. I live in a, in a magnificent part of, the, of, of this wonderful country, and uh, it's, mm. it's it's blazing hot right now. It's 82 degrees. It's four mm. days before Christmas, or I don't know where where we are, or just past Christmas. Like two or three. Yeah. Yeah. So. Okay. Yeah, it's. Uh, I'm a very lucky, very lucky, fortunate guy, and I still think I've got things to do. So I, I think I'm going to be. Touring next year. I've already got more shows on the books for next year than I've had in the last five, six years. So I'm Great. I'm really looking forward to getting back on a stage and singing the heart out. And you, uh, so you, I, you're, you have some solo albums, um, not yeah. like numerous, but there's probably what half a dozen of them out there or so. So when I you, I don't half a dozen, but yes, maybe okay. Yeah, you're probably <laughs> right. Probably three or four. But you're, I imagine, you're able to tour. I don't know, do you tour mostly in the States? I've never been able to see you. As far as I know, you've never come where I am or I didn't know about it or whatever, even though I'd love it. Do you tour primarily in the States? Do you go to South America, the UK? What do you do and how often? It's primarily the States. Okay. Um, it's very difficult for me to do a tour because, okay. uh, you know, it's like in, in the modern day of, of, of music tours, only the really, really big artists, can work on a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, or a Thursday. So you kind of are limited to what you can fit in on a Friday, Saturday. So I, 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 I'm limited to that primarily, unless I have another huge hit, which would be very nice. Um, but I, I work, I, I do fly-ins. I, I fly, I can work on the West Coast one day and the East Coast the next day due to the wonderful invention of jet engines. And that's what I tend to do. I, I tend to... Okay. I tend to do that sort of system, and uh, my band flies in with me, and uh, we just get on okay. and do it. it and it's fun. It's tremendous fun. Good. Well, hopefully I get to see you one of these days. Okay, we're wrapping up. I just wanted to ask you a, quick, a couple quick kind of rapid-fire questions. Number one, did you ever meet Billy Squire? I'm a huge Billy Squire fan, too. I did meet Billy Squire. I met him in a, in a club in, in New York called the China Club. And he was actually quite cool. He 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 tried to rough me up. <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> well, I think he'd had a few drinks. Okay. And uh, Mick Jones was there too. And 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 uh, I think it was my birthday party at the China Club in New York oh. City, which was a really a really happening place at the time. Uh -huh. And uh, we we we'd booked it for the night for my party, and Billy came down because Bobby Chouinard had made the record with us and all the rest of the stuff and we did, we played a few songs Bobby got me up against the wall picked me up by my lapels and said God I wish I could sing like you oh no kidding <laughs> 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 which was really quite I thought he was going to beat the crap out of me but uh, yeah but he, he was actually very cool 
Yeah. Good. Pretty, okay. pretty cool guy. Okay. Cool. Um, and then uh, <laughs> this kind of blew me away. About a year ago, we had Henry Gross on here. Henry. Henry. Yes. And yeah. he recent he and I are Facebook friends, and he recently posted a picture of you two hanging out. And I just thought I would never in a million years put the guy who sang Shannon with the guy who sang Holy Water together as buddies. But I guess you I guys know. are buddies. He's a lovely guy. He, he's yeah. one of my best people in the, on the planet. He's he's such a a genuinely nice person. And uh, you know, yeah, he lives he lives down the road from me. Not down the road, but about five ten minutes away. Okay. And uh, we 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 try to get together and eat uh, none animal. Uh-huh. Uh, vegan, uh, very much a vegan. Are diet. you a vegan or yeah. him? Or one of you I, vegan? He he's vegan. Yeah, he's vegan. And, I didn't um, know that. Vegetarian, vegan. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, I am trying very hard to because the doctors have have, have forbid me to eat red meat oh, because man. apparently it's not good for your heart. So yeah, that's what I'm now investigating fish oh, and boy. very lean chicken. So yeah, you know. Okay. All right. Well, yeah, I just never would have imagined you two being friends. So that's really good. I like I like Henry a lot too. Uh, okay. Yeah. Lastly, I just want to hear your tastiest memory. When you're, you know, walking along the beach in your backyard and you're reminiscing about your life, all these ups and downs. Mm-hmm. What is the just the tastiest best memory that comes to mind? Maybe it's meeting a hero, playing a particularly good show, seeing your songs go up the charts hearing yourself on the radio, whatever it might be, what was that greatest, tastiest memory? Oh, gosh, that's a tough question. Is it? I just assume something's popping right to mind, the top of mind, and that's what people are going to say. But I don't no, know. No, not for me. I mean, I've never... You see, I, I'm quite a strange person. I never accepted success. I always thought that, like, we did the Holy Water Tour, and it was extremely successful. It was one of the biggest grossing tours of that year for uh-huh. us and the damn Yankees. Right. And on the last day of the tour, I was depressed because it was really? stopping and I wanted to do better. And like when we had a, 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 my, my first platinum record with, with Bad Company, I didn't celebrate that. I thought, right, there's one. Now I want another one. Uh-huh. I, I didn't really ever see these things as as. As, as milestones or things to celebrate, I wanted I wanted to, to do better. So it, it's a very difficult one. I suppose one of the luckiest things that's ever happened to me in my life was actually meeting Mick Jones back in 1973. Okay. Because that was the catalyst, I suppose, to my joining Bad Company. Yeah. Although, although of course, Mick had no influence on my on on Ted Nugent hiring me, but it was still. Sure. You know, it was still a very nice thing for him to do, and uh, I've always had the utmost respect for Mick. You know, so that that's, you know, that's you, about uh, it. You saying that you don't sound that different than Lou Graham. I could see you handling foreigner songs. Was there ever any talk about you taking over after Lou left? Yeah, there was. Um, really, on a couple of occasions. Yeah, there was, but I really didn't. I didn't fancy it, to be honest with you. Oh. Um, I know Mick was kind of thinking of me in terms of a possible replacement for Lou for, for yeah. quite a long time. But when I was offered the job by Bud Prager, he, <laughs> Bud was very crafty. He said to me, he, put, he called me in the office. I was in New York City and he called me in the office. He said, I want to talk to you. And I said, yeah, what's up? He said, um, 
if I were to offer you the job as singer for Foreigner, what would you say? <laughs> and I said, Bud, I would say categorically no. Why? Just too well, much doing other people's stuff, not doing your own thing? Yeah, yeah. It okay. was It was like, I've just replaced, you know, the singers for Ted Nugent, who were all great singers. Charlie Hume was a great singer. Uh, he's now with Foghat, of course. Great singer. Right. And you've got Derek St. Holmes, who's a mm-hmm. classic voice, you know. Yeah. And then I had to replace Paul Rogers. And now you're asking me to replace Lou Graham. I said, come yeah. on, dude. This is just, it's just too much. I, I, I can't right. do it, you know. Okay, I could see that. So I kind of, I, 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 it came up twice. And I, I, I wouldn't have wanted to sing the songs exactly like Lou had sung them. And that would have been True. a problem. Because I didn't try and copy Paul Rogers when I when I joined Bad Company. So, no, it, it, uh, it wouldn't have worked with me as a singer. Okay, Florida Because okay. I, I would like to do it my way. <laughs> and you never had any regrets about that, even though... I think they're coming here. To, I live in Denver. They're coming here soon with White Snake. I'm going to try and go to that show. You never yeah. there. You'd you'd have a steady paycheck, but that's just not. That wasn't. I don't do needed. things just for money, though. I, I, okay. I just I I will not do things just for a steady paycheck. Good. No, okay. It's uh, okay. I've got a bit okay. more about me. I think. I, I think. I still hope that my best work is ahead of me, and I don't want to be put in that stylized box of, you know, although to a certain extent, I suppose I'm a hypocrite saying that because I've been singing bad company songs for, you know, yeah, but you, can't yours. you can't win. They're yours. <laughs> yeah, but they're yours. Now, yeah, last question. Was it weird at all for uh, Ted as a member of Damn Yankees to go back out on tour with you after him kind of giving you your first shot? No, it was wonderful. It was, was it? Wonderful. Okay, good. Yeah, good, good, good. it was great. Because I wonder Ted if you busted I, your balls about it. Oh, we, we, we rib each other even now. I mean, sure. okay. Ted, Ted bought a condo not far from me, about three miles from me, actually, and uh, in, in Naples, Florida. So we, we still hang out. We still get together. And, uh, That's great. Um, and he was one of the first to contact me when I had my heart attack and stuff. So it good. was, you know, we're, 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 we're good friends, even good. even despite okay. the songwriting discrepancies. But sure. uh, <laughs> okay, you know. Well, Brian, uh, thank you for doing this. I love you a lot, and uh, you have been one of my top dream guests since I started doing this about two and a half years ago. And so oh, it cool. finally came to it, yeah, it finally came to fruition, and I'm so grateful for you. So thank you for talking with me. Well, thank you very much. You made it very easy. There you have it, Brian Howe. Fascinating story. I mean, it's kind of heartbreaking, too, although it sounds like just about every band ever has these kinds of problems, and it's unfortunate that it ended that way. I do think it's a little strange that Brian hasn't put out more solo material, but I am glad that he's still out there being able to perform. He does his own music. He does their music. He wrote that stuff. He deserves to do that. As I said, I know there's two sides to every story. Um, After talking with Brian, I was Googling something relating to him. I don't remember what it was, but a a headline popped popped up on Google, and I don't remember if it was Mick or Simon, but it just said, Brian Howe became a huge pain in the ass. So, you know, I'm sure they have their own story to tell, but I think Brian makes some very compelling arguments. This reminded me a lot of that Stu Cook and uh, Creedence Clearwater revival in uh, interview that we did last year. 
So anyway, hope you guys, it rekindles some interest and some love for Brian's voice and the music of Bad Company. Now, this is the first episode in a string of ones that I think are especially good. And next week's guest is the front man of one of the seminal uh, alternative rock bands. They're still around. Their height was in the 80s, but they're still around. In fact, I think they put out their 26th album last year. It might be one of the most interesting interviews we've ever featured on here. The guy is brash and opinionated and doesn't hold back and talks all about the, the drugs and the money and his opinions about other bands that he played with. He pulls no punches. I love it. So these are two excellent episodes back to back. Come back next week and check that one out too. Uh, you know the deal by now. You can find us on Facebook and like the page. You can uh, send me an email at thehustlepod at gmail.com or you can find us on Twitter at thehustlepod. If this is your first time joining us, go back into the archives. Look for bands or artists that you love. We try to cover all bases, all genres on here and just tell the stories of these great artists that you don't hear from often enough. And I got to thank my partner in crime, the right-hand man, Yan the Man Makiewicz. Thank you, buddy, for everything that you do. We will see you guys next Tuesday.